Let's dive into the the scripture together. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Philippians chapter 2. We are finishing chapter 2 today. This is an interesting little text. Don't let it deceive you. Um, It's good. It's a good one. All right. Do we have it up? Okay. Um, Here we go. Chapter, oh, is there one more before that? Oh, no, this is it. Sorry. It's supposed to say 19 to 30 at the bottom. I made these slides. This is my fault. Um, So nobody else. Okay, let's read it together. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only uh, not on him only, but also on me and spared me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Don't you love Paul's honesty in that moment? Less anxiety. I love that. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Amen. Lord, even as we tuck into your word, I just ask for open hearts. Ears that are ready to hear. I pray that for each and every one of us, you will grant us truth this evening and that we will receive what is good and true and beautiful from your words not from mine amen amen all right so this is a interesting passage of scripture um, and i was reading and researching and praying uh, for sunday and i came across uh, kind of an incredibly interesting for lack of a better word piece of literature if you will in my prep it was a resource page for the university of portland and it was written specifically for their international students okay <clears throat> quote i have it up here Living in a foreign country and adjusting to a new culture can be difficult if you don't understand the values of the society. Values being ideas about what is right and wrong, desirable and undesirable, normal and abnormal, proper and improper. To help you adjust, we have compiled a brief list of values and explanations as to why U.S. Americans behave the way they do. Okay, this is taken directly from their website. Uh, Let's skip to the very first thing on their list, individualism. Straight from the University of Portland's intro to foreign students, okay? The most important thing to understand about U.S. Americans is probably their devotion to individualism. They have been trained from early in their lives to consider themselves separate individuals who are responsible for their own situations in life and their own destinies. 
They have not been trained to see themselves as members of close-knit, tightly interdependent families, religious groups, tribes, nations, or other groups. Okay? Secular institution, no ideological or religious agenda, simply trying to help people get used to the American way of life. There were about five values. I'm going to show us two. The next one that caught my attention was entitled Achievements, Action, Work, and Materialism. Okay? Here we go. U.S. Americans have an admiration for achievers, people whose lives are centered around efforts to accomplish something physical, oh, some physical measurable thing. Social psychologists use the term achievement motivation to describe what appears to be the intention underlying U.S. Americans' behavior. They are also encouraged to assess their achievements slash wealth based on personal possessions and then compare material possessions with others. Okay, scary and so true, right? Uh, I, I actually couldn't believe that this existed so perfectly for me to bring to you. Um, there were a couple other, these are the ones that apply, but just to kind of recap, okay, devotion to individualism, achievement-oriented, materialistically driven. Now, keep that in mind, and let me read to you a couple choice portions from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and I want to treat it in the same way as this resource page, okay? Give me a little leniency, um, but here we go. Living and adjusting to the way of Jesus can be difficult if you don't understand the values and assumptions of this belief system. What's right and wrong, desirable and undesirable, normal and abnormal. So to help you adjust, we have compiled a brief list <laughs> and explanations of why disciples of Jesus behave the way they do. First, according to Paul, is servants. The most important thing to understand about disciples of Jesus is probably their identification as servants in their community. This is what Paul is saying should be true of us, okay? This is because their God himself, it is said, emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death. So unlike, so, uh, so likewise, those who follow him believe others better than themselves. They believe unity is better than autonomy. They also look after the interests of others before their own. They do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. They view their lives as an offering to be poured out. Every single one of those phrases is taken directly from Paul's letter to the Philippians. The next one, I'm stealing their titles, Achievements, Work, Materialism. Followers of Jesus put very little weight on material possessions. They seem to aim to be content in all circumstances. They believe that they are citizens of heaven, and so earthly goods are not necessary for their happiness. They are not impressed by worldly achievements or having lots of stuff. Instead, they consider everything as loss in comparison with their Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Here's what I want us to see. The way of Jesus, as Paul describes it here, is not an improvement on the American way of life. It is an entirely different state of being. Paul describes the Christian life 
The way that Paul describes the Christian life is in direct opposition to our Western, mostly American upbringing. And here's what I want us to understand, friends. Nothing about our formative years, nothing about our cultural influences, pop psychology, will condition us or prepare us for the way of Jesus. Absolutely nothing. Look at those values, individualism, achievement, the accumulation of stuff, the prioritization of self. The gospel of Jesus doesn't take these values and make them better. The gospel of Jesus blows them up utterly and completely. And what Paul is calling the Philippians to is is an alternate version of of humanity and reality. It is not a better version. Do you hear the distinction? It's completely Different, which means that you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, and I'm not assuming everyone is, but if you follow Jesus, you can't have it both ways. You physically cannot follow that path, that modernity, individualism, achievements, stuff, and follow Jesus. The Bible says you can't love God and money. Why? They're two opposing ideals. They're two opposing beliefs, success, beauty, whatever it is. You can't follow both. You can't do it this way and his way, which is why Jesus himself, kind, loving, gracious Jesus, and he is all of those things. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Go with your gut? Nope. Do what feels good? Nope. Trust your feelings? Nope. Follow your bliss? Nope. Find your truth? Nope. What does he say? You said it. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. And friends, it's very difficult. Did you guys cheat? Did you read that? Yeah. Bunch of cheaters. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's very difficult in a therapeutic self-help culture to say that there is a part of you that has to die. We don't like it. I don't really like it. I don't think Jesus is trying to be mean or make us feel bad. Here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get us to understand that true discipleship to Jesus is hard. It's not easy. It's not always intuitive. It doesn't always feel like the best option. Somewhere along the way, we were taught that following Jesus would be easy. And it just isn't. How did Paul put it? I die daily. Meaning every day he went through a process of denying himself. Denying a selfish, self-serving, self-seeking part. He was a man with incredible accolades before he met Jesus. Gave them all up. He was a man of prestige. He gave them up. He was a learned man, and he chose to be an ambassador of an ignorant religion, a bastard religion. I die daily. I think it's important for us to understand that this way of being, the discipleship to Jesus, it just won't always feel intuitive, especially in its infancy. You know, it's good and well to have ideas about how you're going to spend your money when you don't have any. And then you start working and you're like, do I really have to give a whole 10%? Do 
Do I really have to hold to a sexual ethic? It's the moments when we, when we feel the pressure that we have a choice to make. Do I follow Jesus? Do I take serious his words? Not ideologically, not theoretically, but in practice. This kind of obedience, friends, will sometimes feel at odds with your desires, with your preferences, with your friends, and definitely with our culture, because it's an entirely different thing. And we need a, revel a revelation that resistance is par for the course. Yeah. That when we feel that pressure, when we feel the challenge, we go, this is good, because I am becoming more like Jesus. It is being worked out in me. It really is, when Paul uses the analogy of fitness in the New Testament, I think it's such a great example for us, right? I want to be fit. I think I can be fit. Apparently, I have all the same muscles as everyone else. So, you know, I don't know. I see some people and I'm like, they've got to have a few more. I've never seen that many abs in a human. No, we all have the same. I even buy the gym membership. What do I have to do? I have to show up. I have to get up every day and I have to go to the gym and I have to feel the burn as my body becomes what it is fully capable of being. That is faith. That is life in Jesus. I, he has told me I am perfect. He has told me I am loved. He has told me I am made holy. Now I get up every day and I believe it to be true and I work it out until it is. Until I see the evidence of those muscles in my life. I have to do it. I have to choose it. Now, what does this have to do with Timothy and Epaphroditus? Everything. Because here are two people who chose it, who chose to do it, who decided, despite all odds, despite all of their cultural understanding, that they were going to do the work of the Lord. In the Roman Empire, which Philippi, where Paul is writing this letter, Philippi was a part of the Roman Empire. And... Uh, this is one of the historians I read commentary on the Roman Empire. I didn't put it in the slides, I don't think, Hannah. By the time of the emperors, the Romans had created a, the world's first global empire, okay? Stretching from Morocco to Iraq, from Scotland in the north to Egypt in the south. It was massive. Around this empire flowed a treasure trove of goods from far-flung lands, and from this bounty, the Romans created a culture of pleasure and, pa and had a passion for sensations that stimulated all the human senses, a global world of pleasure. At the same time, Epicureanism was also the predominant philosophy which taught that pleasure was, in fact, the highest good, and the way by which you attained tranquility and freedom from fear or pain or suffering. This was their ideology. This was, if they'd had a website back then for, you know, Roman ways, this would have been on it. These were the values of their empire. They were experiential. They were pleasure-seeking. They were bodily, and they were centered, much like ours, on the self. And yet into this context, Paul writes what? I'm going to jump to, this is Philippians 1. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit 
with one mind, mind being the mind of Christ, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Next scripture, Paul writes, May your love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, so that you may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Final scripture, Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. This would not have felt natural to a Greco-Roman mind. This would not have felt easy or obvious. No, no, pleasure is the highest form of life. Can you see the similarities between the life that Paul is calling the Philippians into and then the language he uses to describe Timothy and Epaphroditus? Let's look back at those passages. This is for Timothy. For I have no one like him who is what? Genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Not acting out of selfish ambition, he says of Timothy. You know his proven worth, i.e. living a life worthy of the gospel. He has served in the gospel, taking on the form of a servant. You see how he's using the same language that was used to describe Jesus is being said of Timothy. What about Epaphroditus? This is verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. One of the commentators I read said, these three words are arranged in ascending scale, meaning common sympathy, common work, common danger and toil and suffering. This is unity language, one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. It goes on to say, he was indeed ill, near to death, So receive him in the Lord with all joy, honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here's Epaphroditus, he humbles himself. He comes of his own volition and serves Paul and serves Jesus even to the point of death. Remember, these two men would have willingly chosen to be with Paul in prison. These are followers of Jesus who considered the gospel, the good news, the love of Jesus and the work of the cross so beautiful, so worthy that they relinquished their very freedom to partner in the advancement of that story, of that good news. And Paul highlights these two men, these two people, 
as living examples of the type of life that he is calling the Philippians to. These were ordinary men. These were not paid pastors, paid missionaries, not like the way we think of it. They were two people who made every effort to work out their salvation for the good of others, to live in a manner worthy. Christ-like servanthood, unified spirit, sacrificial living even unto death. Scholars much cleverer than I have noticed that what matters to Paul here, and maybe even why he put it right in the middle of his letter, is not just the ideas about the life he is giving them. I don't just want you to think the right things. I want you to, to see the embodied practice of them. You know Epaphroditus. He was from your community. Let me tell you what he has been doing. Let me tell you what God has been doing in him. I want you to see the exemplification of this ideology I've been talking about. Most scholars agree that Epaphroditus would have been a Greek or of Greco-Roman descent, so he was a convert to Christianity. He was probably a man with some means because he took all the the gifts to Paul, so he paid for his own way. He probably gave up a comfortable life in Philippi. He would have taken months to get from Philippi to Rome. And then he gets there and he decides to stay and serve Paul in the advancing of the gospel. Doesn't seem to be the original plan because Paul says he, he made up what you yourself weren't able to do. So he stayed with me and helped when you weren't able. This is a live action version that Paul is writing about. Individuals who took it seriously. Who said, I will deny myself. I will take up my cross and I will follow. I will sit with Paul in prison. I will be a messenger of the gospel. Friends, this is not the Epicurean view of the good life. This is not pleasure seeking. This would not have been fun. This would not always have felt good. But at the end of the day, I think Paul asks us, what is our highest value? What is the good life? What is the highest fulfillment? Because there are two opposing views for all of us. Modernity in the West, America specifically, argues for what? We've read it, the self individual desire and fulfillment. What do you want and how can you get it if we distill it down? And the way of Jesus comes and he himself shows us, Jesus, son of God, comes and he says, I will sacrifice for you. I will give my body for you. What did Jesus do? He came not to be served but to serve. He came not to be loved, but to love. He came not to be adored, but to adore us, but to lavish his kindness on us. And so we stand, I think, and we have to choose which way of life. What I will tell you about myself, I won't speak for anyone else, but if I don't choose the way of Jesus, my default is not the way of Jesus. My default is the idolatry of self. I want to be happy. I want to have the things that I want. I want to have them when I want them. That's what I would choose. I want stuff. Whatever that stuff is, power, money, whatever it is for you, we want things. That's the default. 
But here stand two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and I know so many others that aren't mentioned in this book, I'm sure, who when faced with the choice of service or comfort, others or self, less or more, generosity or accumulation, what did they choose? If we, sto- if we, you and I, slowly start to choose what is good and true and beautiful, if we allow ourselves to be poured out as Jesus did, you know what's amazing? Is that we begin to experience the life that is truly life. When you read Paul's letters, in prison, time and time again, beaten, eventually killed, there is so much joy and so much peace, and so much love, and so much clarity, and I can't help but read it and go, this is the good life. This is what really matters. Dallas Willard, I've read this before, but it is one of my, it challenges me every time I do. Dallas Willard said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking need is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians, will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. This, this is our challenge. Because here it is, we are formed by what we do. We are saved by grace. I cannot overstate that we are saved by grace, but we are formed by our choices and our actions. And so we stand on the precipice. Many of us in this room are young enough to decide the trajectory of our lives. Will I consider myself a sister, a coworker, a fellow soldier in the advancement of the gospel? Or will I become a consumer, a chair warmer, a spiritual experience chaser, someone who ideologically believes in Jesus, who think he exists, but nothing about my life is a demonstration of self-sacrifice, of self-giving love? Do you know that 63% of Americans still, this is as of the beginning of the year, which is a wild thing, still identify themselves as Christians? 63%. That's 210 million people. Can you imagine 210 million people who lived like this? 210 million people who lived for the benefit of others. 210 million people who served the poor and the hungry and the lonely. 210 million people who took care of those around them, who met the needs of their neighbor. 210 million people who didn't just believe that being a Christian was thinking the right things and showing up to church on a Sunday, but who believed that to follow Jesus was a radical change of existence, who woke up every morning by spending time with Jesus and then said, Lord, here I am. How can I die daily? How can I die today? Okay, final thoughts. You guys good? Okay. I'm sweating. I don't want the rest of you. How do we do this? How do we follow Timothy and Epaphroditus? We start practicing. Tozer wrote, I think I have it. Remember, 
You do not believe a thing rightly until you act in accordance with it. So, how can we, how can you and I, bring more areas of our life into accordance with the way of Jesus? Take a moment, think about it. What do our lives consist of? Time, money, our bodies, our thoughts, our habits. What would it look like for me to to think of all of those aspects of myself and go, Jesus, how can I make my habitual life more reflective of you? How can I make my time more in accordance with your truth? How can I practice denying myself? Once again, this is not kind of spiritual whipping, right? This is because the way of Jesus is beautiful. To love others, to give ourselves for them, that is beautiful. I thought about it, you know, what if it, for a couple months, all the money that you would normally spend on yourself, clothes, coffee, eating out, whatever it is, what if you took that money and you gave it away every month? Nope. No, I, I can't have coffee. That money's for something else. Because we will shell it out here to live the good life. still there (laughs) what if you challenge yourself that that hour or two or three or four before bed that you give wholeheartedly to the shows you are watching to the things you are scrolling what if that became his time prayer worship what if you showed up at the check-in center that hour before bed that you normally spend watching and you served our homeless neighbors that's practicing this Sometimes I think we get really esoteric with it. No, no, this is a practical thing. I want each of us to consider the parts of our lives that we could offer to him and truly search for ways that we could lay it all out. And when it feels hard or we face resistance, when you are trying to break unholy habits and it hurts, I want you to celebrate the pain, the pressure, the resistance. I dragged my husband to a body pump class at the YMCA yesterday with me. And yeah, he crushed it. We crushed it. Let me tell you, those old ladies whip my butt. They're all like 80 and they're all buffer than I am. But okay, we stood there and we felt the burn of it. And I was like, this is good for me. I know it is. And we're totally comfortable with that in the physical sense. Let's be comfortable with it spiritually. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to feel the wrestle with our selfishness and our desire to serve Jesus. It is good. It's so hard, but it makes me more like Jesus, and I am here for it. And lastly, I wanted to land on this. Paul says in the end of that section, he says, honor men like this. Honor men and women like this. We're not going to get this perfect. Nothing in the way of Jesus suggests that we will get it perfect tomorrow. But friends, I want to be a community that celebrates and honors people who earnestly try to follow the way of Jesus. Rather than kind of laughing off spiritual lethargy or apathy. Yeah, I never make it to church on a Sunday. Huh? I never show up to my table community. I never bring anything. Huh? No, no. Let's rather, let's just ignore that, and let's celebrate the choices that are being made to live a sacrificial life, 
because it is happening in the community. And I want to end by honoring the work of God that is happening right here and now. People that are making choices to live their lives for the benefit of others. That's why we started with a little bit of storytelling around what people in the community are doing to serve the city. I have heard at our last All Leaders meeting, we had a time of testimonies, and I stood there listening to story after story of your generosity, of you guys meeting rent when someone couldn't pay it, of you guys delivering checks in the thousands. We are a young community. This is your work of people giving away time to serve the homeless, to serve the elderly, to serve those in need, of people, uh, what do I have, giving away cars, multiple cars, like lots of cars being given away, people giving away time, generosity is bubbling up. I want to honor those of you in this community, and I know some of you who have chosen a holy view of sexuality who are choosing to deny your flesh because you believe that the way of Jesus is better. And I wanna say yes. We celebrate the work of the Lord in your life. Those of you who are choosing to abstain and hold boundaries even when it was freaking hard. And I was dating once, I know how hard it is. I'm married now, so woo. Tyler once described me to someone as a 12-year-old boy, and so I uh, am owning that in this moment. Okay. Uh, I want to honor the work of Jesus in our community, and I want to say more. More, Lord. We want to be better stewards of your goodness and your grace. We want to be people who are patient and kind. We want to be people who are full of peace, who are a non-anxious presence in this world. We want to love more. We want to be more kind. We want to be more sacrificial. I am here for it. I am here for the good news of Jesus. Good news. I want to blow up the cultural understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And I want to show them a life that is truly life, a life that is lived in a manner worthy of the gospel, a life of giving and a life of serving, a life poured out for the benefit of others. Can we do this? Can we stand together?